0: All right, Zig coming in on the top 10 on the show, we have Sarah McQueen, singer, songwriter, extraordinaire, and is an amazing guitarist, and has a very particular approach to the guitar, one uh, one with open tunings, and if you know me, um, I dive into that world quite a bit, so this was a fun guitar-based conversation as well as songwriting. She has lived all over the world and is coming with a huge uh array of cultural perspective with her songs and with her songwriting, as well as that she's coming from a lineage of deep thinkers and big movers and shakers, and we dive into that as well in the interview. Sarah has a new album out called the St. Burian Sessions. It's a live album recorded in a medieval church, which gives the record this atmosphere that is unlike no other. There's also a full video component, so every song that was recorded, there's a video to accompany it. Uh, Not all of them are out, but they are coming out, um, and that's on YouTube, and Sarah's, uh, if you follow the information, you can see the whole thing as well as hear the whole thing. We're going to listen to a track off the record. This is, If We Dig Any Deeper, It Could Get Dangerous. (laughs) thing Could get dangerous. Saint and sessions should be out on all the streaming platforms by now. Um, it's interesting because uh, Cody and I in Sea Level Letter C Dash we uh, we attempted to record um, a, a live album in a church years ago. It would have been our third release, and uh, Cody still has the recordings of it. And it was like um, songs that we're we, we're doing now, but you know, infant uh, versions of them. And uh, there's just something about being in that space and being in that atmosphere. And when you hit, when you clap, and just hear that sound reverberate through those halls, and it, it makes sense why music was done in churches. And like you know, before like the, there was like more acceptance for like secular music, it made sense why it was done in there. There's something sonically amazing about about a, a, that type of building. So I highly recommend you check out the St. Burian Sessions. If you guys can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast on all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to amazing people and sharing their insights with you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah McQueen. That being said, um, I wanted to first uh, start off by asking you about um, Gamble Rogers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Go
0: on. <laughs> I was going to say, so who's Gamble Rogers?
1: Oh, he was this wonderful um, storyteller and songwriter and musician. You know, look him up. Um, he, he was kind of big on the folk circuit in like the oh, 60s and early 70s. And um, he was also my grandmother's cousin. <laughs> and uh, so he was the first person I ever met. It was kind of a, you know, a, a pro. I'm hearing weird noises in the background. Is yeah, that, sorry, I fixed
0: right? that.
1: Yep, no, nope, you're good. No, you're cool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Gamble Rogers was a cousin of my grandmother's, and um, and I guess he's he's the first kind of person I remember meeting as a kid. Who, you know, it was explained to me that this guy basically went around to small venues and folk festivals and stuff, and um, Sang and played and told stories and entertained people and and I remember thinking wow what an amazing thing to do and he was a lovely affable guy you know and um, and he died uh, tragically um, trying to rescue somebody from drowning um, and uh, when when I was again quite young and I remember hearing about that and and um, yeah and just thinking of him as something to look up to so I kind of cite him as an as a very very early influence on my music
0: and is it more uh is it more like a philosophical influence or um, sonic influence or was it kind of both
1: uh, not really a sonic influence so much but but definitely because he was more in the kind of kind of down-home folky style, you know, right. whereas I'm, I've am i kind of evolved more into writing my own songs and so on, but um, very much in terms of, you know, an example of somebody who was an independent musician going around um, playing on the kind of grassroots circuit that I'm mm. still um, playing and that I expect you're playing too, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe slightly different, you know, kind of venues but but you know it's still that grassroots circuit where you're kind of doing it yourself and booking your own gigs and pretty much you know doing it on a on on a you know kind of shoestring basis but still doing it as a full-time professional job
0: right right well okay that it makes sense because like um i don't with that that whole kind of like music it kind of uh welcomes that diy mentality you know i mean like uh, some some other genres of music kind of um, celebrate that DIY mindset and like this is how we do it but um, there's something about the folk the folk uh, approach that has always been that you know it didn't need a mindset because it was always there and uh, yeah I find that uh it's I, to have it one person doing the whole thing makes it so I don't know approachable and like when you sent me your email, just like with everything, like I'm like she thought of everything. There's the pictures, there's the links, so there's, you know, I mean, like that's that's a, that's years of experience, like because I find myself forgetting a lot of those links when I send stuff around for myself. <laughs> um, so he kind of showed you that mentality too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just doing it as a job, you know, and, and doing what you love, but, but doing it on a professional basis. I think that's the main thing. Right. Because, like uh, music has been my full-time job now for, it was, it was 2007 when I gave up my day job, you know, and, uh, gosh, however many years, I think we we must be coming up to, to 15 years now. And, uh, you know, and I'm still just barely getting by, and I'm still broken in debt, you know, and yeah. all the rest. But, you know, I'm not answerable to a record company. I'm not, you know, I can take gigs that I want to take and not take gigs that I don't want to take. You know, I, I have total creative control, and that's that's not something to be sneezed at. It's, it's a good thing and a valuable thing. Definitely. Um
0: and you started your first your first job was you're a journalist.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I, I kind of fell backwards into it. Um, yeah, I had been actually that wasn't my first job. My first job was in a music shop. I, oh yeah. I, I spent um, right my first job out of college. I I was living in Philadelphia and working in a place called Vintage Instruments, and um, which sold old beautiful old vintage guitars. And and I worked there for seven years and. And it was kind of lovely because, I, you know, and, and and at that point I was, you know, I was thinking in terms of playing in bands. I was playing in a band and we were doing little tours from time to time. And it was nice because the shop would give me time off to go off on tour and then I'd still have a job to come back to. And that was kind of great. And then um, moved to Ireland and the idea when I moved to Ireland was was to do music. But then... Um, I recorded my first album, and and just as the first album was kind of in the can but not released yet, I I got invited to do what I thought was going to be just a temporary little job um, working in a magazine publishing house and... uh, I was supposed to be working there for three months and I wound up staying for eleven years. you know and, it, yeah. and that was job that I that was the job that I gave up finally when I in two thousand and seven um, which which was pretty scary, but I kind of had got to a point where I was pretty miserable. and the only thing that made me happy was music. and I thought, right, I, I've just got to do this and, um, and see if it works. And, yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm still there. I'm yeah. still surviving. Um, right. It'd be it's... nice to actually make some money. But, you know, if, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, at least I'm doing what I love. And as long as I can get food on the table, you know, that's right. the main thing.
0: Well, and, but, you know, do you want to yeah. live the work or work the live, you know?
1: Exactly. And, yeah, uh, that's, that's it.
0: It's such a scary decision. And like, there's a lot of people. It, it's that don't don't risk it, you know, because there's that that sense of comfort knowing that like that there's gonna be food on the table, and you know, and we can see a movie. You know what I mean? Like, that's pretty sweet. Like, but the so when you first took that initial jump to to stop doing a the journalism gig full time, was there like a was there a fear that maybe the music would kind of bring about those same kind of like a walls or those same type of difficulties that made it not enjoyable? Or was that not even um, a thought- forethought?
1: Yeah. Um I you know, I think I think the main thing I worried about was that I would just wouldn't cut it, you know? I worried that, you know, people would come to my gigs and hate me, you know? <laughs> and, and um and and so You know, as long as people were coming to my gigs, even in small numbers, and telling me nice things and coming (laughs) up and saying, well, you know, that really spoke to me emotionally. That was the main thing. If I could, as long as I've been able to, get a strong emotional reaction from people. I think that's always been the main thing I wanted, and that's always been the main thing that sustained me. You know, and as long as I was doing that, I kind of felt like I was doing the right thing and felt like I was in the right place. I think what made me really miserable in the journalism job was I felt like my job was to provide content Mm-hmm. To go on the pages opposite the adverts, you know, it was the advertisements yeah. that were the main thing. They they were the whole re, you know reason for being of the publications. The publications existed to sell advertising. They didn't exist to inform or entertain or anything like that. They were just there there for the ads, and and that made me. I felt like I was spending my life on something that wasn't worth doing you know yeah. so i think you know, you've you mentioned about it, what your day job is and it involves teaching kids and that's a thing so worth doing and i think maybe if i'd had a day job like that it might have been a harder decision to quit it and and become a full-time musician but for what i was doing i just i just felt like uh, i want to do something that actually has meaning and you know again when i you know when i get up on stage and perform. And then somebody comes up to me afterwards and said, God, I was in tears listening to that song, but in a good way. And it's just kind of a real catharsis that I felt like it was about my own life in some sense. That's what it's all about for me. Right. That's
0: beautiful. And like you hit the nail on the head. Like (laughs) I, you know, I would like to do full time stuff, but it's hard. It's hard because like these kids are funny and fun and like, (laughs) and it's a, it's a joy to teach them, but like, uh, uh it, it, it feels like it feels like some things are sticking i don't know <laughs> who knows if they are or not but <laughs> um that's like it, it's in, i bet the the skill set though of um the kind of marketing stuff is paying off now that now that you're holding the fort down yourself to do this whole the whole music career aspect as far as reaching out for marketing and for um booking and like i, I imagine a lot of a uh, The journalism and being able to write and have a clear, concise way to reach out to venues and stuff paid off, though, yeah?
1: It did. And in a way, what was kind of nice was that I suddenly didn't feel like all those years were wasted, you know, yeah. because I was putting those skills to use, even like graphic design skills and stuff, okay. you know, graphic design, proofreading, um, writing, uh, you know, putting press releases together, all that stuff, sending out inquiries to press people in such a way that's not going to annoy them. You know? Right, right. No, that's <laughs> a really big deal. really important. <laughs> you know, not annoying people, I think. Uh, you know, <laughs> how to succeed. <laughs> not annoying is important? What's,
0: what's the, what's the, what? Okay. I, because uh, <laughs> I reach out to a lot of people and I feel like as musicians, you're used to hearing no, you know, you get used yeah. to no quicker. You you learn to move on from things a little faster maybe than like, and learn to not take things personal, um, which I think is a big deal and a big step in being able to to do, do this as a, as a career or <laughs> as something that you have to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what's what's the fine line? What's the secret to to not annoying? Because um, I I think I've done pretty good with just reaching out politely and kind of you know persistently reminding in a, a, a um an a interval that isn't rapid. Why aren't you getting back to me right now? Type thing. But do you <laughs> what is the what's the Sarah secret for not annoying the the people?
1: well you pretty much just hit the nail on the head right there you know just being polite and you know not demanding and you know not necessarily expecting a response you know and just saying i'd be really grateful if you could give this some coverage you know um but not you know not being pushy about it and um I think that's I think that's the main thing, you know, and and giving people the information they need then as well as is important. You know, I mean, right. I I have I have journalists all the time writing back to me going, thank you so much for the media kit page on, oh, uh, on your website. It just made my life so easy that I could just go there and grab stuff, you know. Right. So just making you're trying to make life easy for other people is what it boils down to.
0: I I think I not think you having the other end of that made that really efficient. <laughs> like- <laughs>
1: Yeah, exactly. I have years of experience of being a journalist and, you know, having to go and try and find a photograph that was halfway decent of somebody, you know, and not being able to find it and contacting them and going, where can I get a photo, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, now when I send stuff, it's like, here's a download link for high quality 300 DPI images. Right. there it <laughs> is.
2: It's good to I go. speak
1: their language, basically.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so you grew up in Chicago,
1: right? Yeah, um, in Hyde Park on the south side of of Chicago, which is where my mother's family was from for generations. My father was Spanish, my mother was an American, so I I was actually born in Spain, but only lived there for two years, I don't remember it. Then moved to Chicago uh, with my mother, and lived there until I was 13, and then moved to Washington, D.C., and then went to college uh, just outside Philadelphia, lived there for a long time, and then moved to Ireland, and then moved to England.
0: You've been everywhere, <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, so with, uh, like Johnny Cash, <laughs> it's just like Johnny Cash, <laughs> Maybe. yeah, everywhere, man. <laughs>
0: um, and that that's beautiful because there's so much. There's each each city you've mentioned is, is, is a country. Like there's so much different music and culture to be taken in. And like um, with your mother's music and your father's music, like. Was there like I mean, growing up in Spain, was flamenco a thing? Was like, like, cause you, uh, I, I get the tri- like this traditional folk sense from your music, especially with you know your first two albums, where there's like um, you, uh, a couple originals on each one, but you know mostly can carrying on that tradition. Um, but is some of, where does that come from? Is that coming from your mom's side? Is that coming from your travels? Is that like? Is that coming from Gamble? Like,
1: uh, It's mostly coming from my mother. Okay. Um, my mother used to play guitar and sing, and my earliest memories are of lying in bed, and she'd be sitting playing her guitar in the next room. That's kind of what that song on the album, Last Song, is all about, is that connection between listening to her playing and then yeah. playing for my own kids, you know? Um, awesome. and, uh, and also... Um, I I sang with a Children's Choir when I was in Chicago, the Chicago Children's Choir. And, you know, that was a fairly professional outfit, you know, toured all over the place, um, all around the U.S. and up into Canada and everything. So that was an early introduction, both to touring and kind of performing on a professional level and also um, to a really eclectic selection of music, you know, to everything from, you know, very classical music to sort of contemporary composers to you know, folk music and so on, you know, music from different countries. And um, I always listened to a lot of different styles of of music, but I was kind of largely in that folk world for a long time. And then when I moved to England, um, to Cornwall, I met this woman, Zoe, um, who I made the Mama album with in 2009, and she was a former pop star. star. Yeah, who'd had this massive hit single, and it was co-writing songs with her that made me think, you know, up to prior to that point, I'd always written songs, you know, even when I was a teenager in in high school, I used to write songs and get up and perform them at school assemblies and stuff, but I never really thought of myself as a songwriter, I thought of myself as a, a folk musician who happened to write an occasional song and then when I was working with Zoe and writing the songs for that album with her and she she taught me so much and she really kind of opened my mind to all of the different things you could do writing songs and got me excited about it. And, and so it was after that that um, the album that I made after that kind of started focusing more on my own original songwriting and less on folk music because I was just really excited by that creative
0: process it's amazing because like when you think of like a, a pop singer you kind of you know there's the whole like oh she writes her songs you know what i mean like there's that whole kind of like the, a lot of people don't um i think that's uh like it, it's interesting because i was talking with um robert kidney from a numbers band which is in ohio like uh, um i don't even know how to describe their music they're kind of like a uh, a blend of jazz and blues and like um, I don't even know they call themselves Eastern Eastern country or something. Um, mm. But the Robert Kidney is a very much a traditionalist as, as far as like a blues singer, and uh, he he said when he started writing songs, he came to the realization that to carry on the tradition that is part of the tradition as a folk singer is you leave your mark. And like, like it, it seems like that's you know that's the process. You learn, you got to learn the stuff to be able to express yourself. Um, and like, uh, it's a, that's a fascinating like kind of colliding of worlds. When did like so? When did you meet Zoe? Was this like a, was she just around, like, or was this a to when you guys came together that make to make that album? Was that connected through outside sources?
1: I met her because our kids were going to the same tiny huh, little school no here in West Cornwall. We were like mums at the school gates, you know. <laughs> um, back, you know, when we moved here, um, my, my oldest child was, was four and was just, just starting school. And so we had kids around the same age and um and so we met and the school is tiny there were like 20 odd kids in the whole school ranging in age from four on up to 11 so you pretty much got to know the other parents as friends you know and zoe was at my house one day and it was it was actually i it was after um we got to be friends that i I found out that she had this history i i I hadn't really been aware of her massive hit single you know (laughs) and um and so, so it was kind of weird when I, when I started talking to her, they're like, Oh, you know her, you know? Oh, wow. You know, cause she was huge. It was, she, her, her song, when she was 19 years old, her song was in the top five of the UK wow. pop chart and, and it stayed in the top five for 16 weeks and she was on TV on top of the pops and oh, the old gray whistle test, all these TV shows about pop music and, uh, and it was this huge um, dance hit as well all the clubs in like Ibiza and places like that she was it was it was kind of it was a song that they always played to get everybody out on the dance floor at the end of the night and all the ladies would dance around their handbags and put their hands in the air that was her song you know <laughs> nice. so um yeah I, and and I started writing with her kind of by accident where she was playing me she said oh can I play you a song i've written and picked up the guitar and was playing it and I said that's a really nice song but I can't really understand the words that you're singing could you write them down for me and she said oh I don't actually have any words for that I'm just singing gibberish that's why you can't understand it and I said well would you like some words <laughs> and she said oh could you great and we so we started writing together and um and it was just a lovely process writing with her um and just as I say, that was what really got me into songwriting and ex- excited about songwriting was that collaboration. Uh,
0: do you think? Um, do you think a bit of like the kind of journalistic approach to being able to like take a topic and and express it quickly with uh, not maybe a, the most amount of description, kind of like. And then the years of musical practice, and at this moment, do you think those kind of worlds collided
1: a little bit? Yeah, that's a really good insight. I hadn't thought of that before, actually. But you're right. Um, it's that thing of being able to grab the essence of something, you know, just quickly get get at the nut of it, if you like, the, the, yeah. the you know, the main point, and and get that main point across. And that's what you're trying to do as a songwriter. You're trying to boil things down to the just the Tightest little round thing (laughs) that you can. I've got a visual image, and I'm having trouble expressing it in words. But there you are. It's just boiling things down to their essence.
0: And it's it's not easy.
1: (laughs) No, no, it's really challenging. It's the hard writing songs is the hardest thing I've ever tried to do. And I think that's why I love doing it so much. It's always a challenge. It's always really hard. And when you write a good song, and you know it's a good song, you always think. Oh gosh, that's, that's like, I, I'm never going to write another song that good. Where did that song come from? I, and it doesn't feel like it came from you. It feels like it came from somewhere outside you. And you just kind of tapped in and and got it, you know? But yeah. it's not really yours. And you don't feel any kind of ownership of it. And you just, and you feel kind of scared that you're never going to be able to write a song like that again.
0: Right. No, it's
1: crazy. And, and I've know. talked to a lot of songwriters and they yeah. just say they have the same experience, you know? I
0: wonder, I wonder what that is. I wonder, is it just, do you like a, do you have like a routine? Do you have like a, a, a writing routine just to kind of like, cause it sounds like you did with Zoe. Like, it sounds like there was a the working on a thing and having someone to kind of keep you in check. But down the line, when you were doing your own, um, own songwriting, like, did you, do you, do you sit down like every couple of days and just write and see what comes out? Or do you just take it when it comes type
1: um, well, what, what happened was that before I was working with Zoe, I, I was kind of, I would get, if I got an idea for a song, I'd sit down and try and write a song, you know, and sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And then I worked on the songs with Zoe, and we wrote all of the songs for that album really quickly. I think the whole album was written in three months, and that intensity of the process, I think it really brought out something in the songs that was really good and really strong, and, and also made them really cohesive in terms of the way they hung together as an album. And I guess that was at the back of my mind when I started um thinking about writing songs again, but the main thing that happened was I just got really, really busy with touring right after that, and and uh, didn't have time to finish a lot of songs, but had been noting down ideas for songs constantly, you know, making little voice memos on my phone and writing down little bits of lyrics in the notes again on my phone. And, and so... I found myself in in 2014, in, in the fall of 2014, I, I booked studio time in January 2015 for, to record a new album, uh, which was going to be my, 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 which became my fourth album, Walking Into White. And I booked the studio time and I had no songs finished. I thought, Eek! I better finish some songs. And so I just, I blocked out some time. Uh, I basically decided, right, I'm going to take a month and I'm not going to do anything but write this album. And I got out all my song ideas, all the little voice memos I'd made, and all the notes I'd made. And I thought, you know, and I started fleshing them out into songs, and I think what happened was that my unconscious brain had been working away in the background, kind of churning away on these ideas, because what I found was that when I actually sat down with the ideas that had been sitting there for years, the songs came together really quickly, and they they came together in a way that they really hung together again as, as kind of a cohesive album. And in fact, so much so that that, that album, uh, the first year after it came out, I just went out and started performing the album live, track for track, you know, in sequence That's as cool. the first half of every gig I did because it just, I loved the way it just flowed as an album more than any album I'd made before. And that was my fourth album. <laughs> so I, you know, I finally learned how to do it, and 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 I liked that process so much that I set out pretty deliberately to do that with the fifth album. With if we dig any deeper, it could get dangerous. I kind of even if I even if I had an idea of where a song I was going to go, I kind of I, I stopped. I didn't flesh it out into a completely finished song. I would just write down as much of it as I could, you know, as came to me easily. And then just leave it, leave it to one side, leave it to gestate and germinate. And uh, then I came back to it, um, and it was a bit of a collaborative process because Michael Chapman uh, produced that album, and I I met up with him, and and I played him a bunch of my unfinished song ideas, you know, and he kind of helped to guide me in terms of which ones really grabbed him and which ones he thought would be. You know, really strong songs, uh, and, and so we sat down and played a lot together. And then I went back home again and was working with with all that. And and he also got me writing on the electric guitar, which was not something I'd done before. I'd always only played acoustic before that. And Michael was the one who said, "I want you to start writing some stuff on the electric," and that really opened up my horizons too. And
2: uh, how,
1: um, so, so yeah.
0: Sorry, I didn't mean how, <laughs> how so um, with the electric because. When I hear your you're playing, I, I think I hear dad gag. I, I hear like an open tuning, which makes me think of like a, a kind of a Celtic approach to guitar. But like uh with the electric, are you doing the same or or are you even using that tuning? Like
1: Oh yeah, I use yeah? it all the time for everything. Oh, okay. The only tuning I play. It's basically standard tuning for me now. I don't yeah, think yeah. I'd even know how to play a guitar, not in Dad gag. But uh, but with the electric though, even though it's the same tuning and theoretically the same instrument, it's really a different animal. I find I find the the sounds, the way they come out. I mean, you can get all this sustain and stuff right. like that that you you can't get, and you can use more different effects. You can use a tremolo. You can use a I use a delay um, pedal on on one of the uh, on, on that instrumental track. Um, the Day of Wrath that day, which is also on the new album, uh, and uh, I mean that 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 piece of music would not be possible without the delay pedal. The delay pedal is all part of it, you right. know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's just it just opens up a whole new sonic worlds playing a different instrument and same and then i got into playing piano more and you know i play a drum on one track a floor tom just just like a you know one fifth of a drum kit right you know um and and every time you take up a different instrument again it just opens up more possibilities
0: was it yeah i saw the videos um for the new album and like watching you play play like because I, I use a lot of dad gag tuning and open c and open f i use a a lot of like <laughs> open tunings with with my band and it's interesting like uh it's interesting because like uh when you play standard there's kind of like this standard like uh ex, ex expectation of what good guitar playing is you know or what you know what i mean like uh the, like if You should be able to do this and that. And like, maybe that's a me saying that to myself type deal. Maybe that's not a real thing. But like, with a, when you put it in an open tuning, it just kind of like, any, whatever tuning, it, it puts everything like, kind of like at the beginner's mind. And like, it really opens up these possibilities. Like, like, I, I'd I'd never, like, for standard, I learned where the, like, the scale maps and like how it all works. And like, but with, with a, open tuning i didn't you know and like i don't know if it, when you learned it it was the same way or is that what your mother taught you like as far as like a that tuning
1: i oh, know my mother was a pretty basic guitarist she okay. just played you know standard tuning chiefly you know <laughs> you know i mean all, all she really taught me was how to play a G C gc and an e chord and, that's a start you know <laughs> start. and uh I kind of I kind of figured out the rest, um, but uh, oh, and maybe A as well. I don't know, but but, um, but yeah, uh, I pretty quickly got into open tuning. I was really into um, I was really into Joni Mitchell in oh, a big way, okay. and I was also really into Wyndham Hill guitarists. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with people like uh, Michael Hedges and Alex DeGrassi and Willie Ackerman, all these guitarists who recorded. V- Pretty much instrumental music for the right. Wyndham Hill label, and um, and they're you know using lots of different tunings and uh, I, I liked the openness of it and I, I also liked the way you suddenly were freed up from that dichotomy of rhythm guitar and lead guitar. Right. You, you could do both at the same time. You didn't have to be either a rhythm guitarist or a lead guitarist. You could play very tuneful melodic stuff that still had a had a foundation to it and had chords as part of it and uh and and so and, and you know what i always kind of strive for is is that the guitar is kind of of equal value with the voice you're kind of basically duetting with yourself you're it's a duet for voice and guitar it's not just the guitar backing the voice
0: was and that what I find like I think that's beautiful and I think it really suits your voice very nicely and it brings it out like it's a uh, I, I, I can't find the right words for it, but it's just perfect how your voice and the melodic like uh, rhythm, melodic like accompaniment that you have with your guitar playing um, fits really well. and like but one thing I would uh, one one thing i found with the open tuning, and I'm sure you did because I, I've only found a couple recordings of it. Is um, when you bring it to a group, it, it starts to get um, trickier. And I, I found a couple of videos and they're really good of you with a trio, like a, a violinist and like oh, yeah. and a drummer. And I'm like, there's just a whole it like expands that atmosphere that the open tuning brings, but like. Like did was part of the that approach like because that works really really well for like a solo player and like but uh, was it hard to adapt it to a group or was just the dynamics of a group hard to keep like as full full force as you're going.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, the main thing uh, with, with the groups, I just couldn't afford it.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, It's hard enough it's to hard. make a living when I'm performing on my own, but if I had to pay a band, I just couldn't do it. I thought when I formed that trio, I, I kind of formed it with the idea that maybe I could do kind of bigger kind of festival gigs and, right. and maybe get, you know, get more money by playing with a group and it just didn't work out that way. And I just I just couldn't do it. But you know, I, it's okay with me that that I'm performing solo because I do love I love the connection that you get with an audience performing solo. I feel like there's more of that maybe than there is when you're on stage with a band. The whole dynamic is is about the band and the relationship between the. And I've played in bands for years. In fact, you know, when I first was playing dadgad tuning, that was always with a band. That was it was when I was living in France and playing with a band, and and I was doing a lot of drop D and a lot of different sort of random tunings. And a French guitarist, um, came up and said to me, um, I see. I was playing with a traditional Irish band in France, and and uh, this French guitarist said, "I see you. You know, you're using a lot of different tunings, but I don't see you using Dadgad. You know, any particular reason why? Don't you like Dadgad?" And I said, "What's Dadgad?" And he said, "Oh, you know, it's (laughs) it's this. You know, DADGAD." And I just tuned my guitar to Dadgad, and and I was just immediately blown away. It was kind of a eureka moment where I just ah, this is how I make the sounds I've been trying to make, and just really really took to the tuning straight away i just found i could quite instinctively make the sounds i wanted to make and i didn't have to think about where on the neck i was placing my fingers they would i could play up and down the neck and get to the notes i wanted kind of without without really having any knowledge of the theory behind it is, it just, it just, I just gravitated to the tuning um, uh, as soon as I, as soon as I tried it. So, uh, but that was always playing with the band. So it's, it's kind of started off with playing dad, Gad with the band and, and, and then it was only years after that that I became a solo performer.
0: Wow. Oh, okay. It's interesting. Cause like with uh with dad, Gaddy, it's like, you with regular tuning like it's it's tuned to a chord it's pretty formulaic in a way you know what i mean like there's always gonna be the one string that's the third and the rest is like the root and the fifth especially for guitar so it's like where's that where's that one string is it on the g string is it on the b string is it the e string but with that gag it kind of gets rid of that third you know and like it really makes it like the almost the possibilities endless and like that's that's a, it's it's interesting that he got you in tune to that tuning like um no, Yeah with um where was I going to take oh with the, so with that electric guitar with that Ibanez the you're lending or you, you've been lent that right from uh, from Mr. Chapman
1: yeah and sadly he's he 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 died just very recently which is uh, terrible um I'm, I'm so sad about that especially because I've just recorded a song of his on on the new album and
0: Rabbit Hills I was right? really
1: looking forward to sorry?
0: Uh, Rabbit, Rabbit Hills, Hills. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Beautiful song. beautiful song. And I was really looking forward to during the tour in November. Um, I was going to visit him. Well, I'm going to be visiting his wife and giving her the album. Um, but I re- had really looked forward to handing him the, the CD, you know, with, yeah. with his song on it. And uh, and I can't do that now because um, he's he's gone. But I, I've still got his guitar. I don't actually know what's going to happen with that. I've, I've written to his wife and said, look, I love this guitar. I'd, I'd love to be able to buy it from you. I don't have the money to buy it at the moment. Um, but if I could hang on to it until such time as I can afford to buy it from you, I'd really like to do that. And so we'll see what happens.
0: Well, is it? Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. I know that that's never enough just to say, and like, oh. especially with someone like, uh, who's musically like influenced you like that. It's a, it's and, and yeah, I don't know. Having having the guitar, like that's a beautiful way to continue um, his message, you know, through through your words. Um, so hopefully, hopefully yeah. that pans out, and like, I'm sure I'm sure it's where it needs to be with you.
1: Well, I hope you're right. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs>
0: um, but yeah, so kind of like the the kind of speak it. We've been gl- glossing over the new record uh but oh i had a couple other questions out before before getting into the new record that i wanted to ask um um so there's a there's a great aunt jane adam and can you tell me about the whole house
1: <laughs> yeah jane adams um she won the nobel peace prize um for for her her work she was uh Uh, And she was also a a philosopher, really. I I actually wrote my my senior thesis about her for my BA in philosophy about her views. She felt that... uh, that an individual could not live an ethical life in an unethical society. So she mm-hmm. believed that the only way to try and live an ethical life was to try and change the society you lived in to make it more ethical. And she lived her own life according to that principle. And she started up this place called Hull House, which still exists in Chicago, um, in uh, where where she you know she she bought a house in the middle of a of a very poor neighbourhood consisting mostly of immigrants and moved in there and said about trying to help people the best way she could by you know doing things like organizing English lessons for people who couldn't speak English and providing a refuge for women who were abused and helping to look after children for people you know whose parents were were working and and, and couldn't look after them all, you know all these just and 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 teaching people basic a lot of basic skills like sewing skills were were pretty important at the time and um you know she was a social campaigner and she was a campaigner for peace and justice she got she was a pacifist she got in a lot of trouble for her uh her pacifist views in 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 wartime she didn't believe in in war and she was just a remarkable woman and she was my she was my grandmother's great aunt my she she kind of my grandmother's fa- father, my great grandfather was basically raised by her because his mother died when he was really small and she kind of took him on and, and raised him and uh, and so she was you know she was kind of like a grandmother figure for my grandmother and so I heard a lot about her growing up and I've still got pictures of her on my wall and it's you know I, I haven't um, done things like that with my life but it's you know I'm kind of doing the best I can to to change the world through music if you like and you know and like that I I try and I I try and you know live my life according to the principles that that she had and uh she's it's nice to have her to look up to
0: she sounds she's a straight-up superhero like that's all amazing qualities and like I I think to some degree, we all lead by example. And like, this may be like the teacher bit in me. And like, but when you, when you just follow, when you can show the world that just like how Gamble Rogers showed you that you can do what you love and like you are, you're inspiring people to do that. So you're living up to her, her code of ethics and code of uh, her superhero isms. By, by just being able to fully immerse in your bliss and share that and, like, showing other people that they can do that. Even though you may not, like, be doing that, calling someone and giving them the exact advice and telling them the, the, the promoting secret. But by doing by doing what you're doing, you're showing the world that it's possible. So I think you very much are carrying on that tradition. Um, do... um. Is is your family a deep thought? Like, is philosophy run deep in the family too, or was that just an interest you took from her?
1: Um, it was a it was an in, interest that I that I that I took from her. Yeah, but it you know deep thought definitely runs in the family. Um, you know, they're they're kind of ah, it's ri- a lot of writers, a lot of musicians too in my family. Um, but they're you know they're writing songs about philosophical subjects like my uncle is both a journalist and a musician and um so are a couple of my cousins and um you know i have an aunt who's a she's a sociologist so she's kind wow. of the one yes. most carrying on jane adams's legacy you know and that she's writing about social issues and justice and um you know and uh the, Teenage girls in particular and their struggles. So uh, yeah, uh, you know I've got lots of lots of really good strong role models in my life.
0: Wow, that's awesome. That's awesome, and con- continuing it. Um, and that's a that's a tricky exp- for teenage teenage girls and how the world is right now. That's uh, we need more people like her doing what she's doing. We do. Like we do. That's...
1: She she wrote a brilliant book called Dangerous Passage. You know, which was kind of all about how, you know, it's all about control, you know, and and uh, oh, you know, and 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 it's and, and she wrote it a long time ago, and 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 it's it's all the more true now. The sad thing is that society doesn't really seem to have moved on a whole lot, you know it's 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 there's still there's still a lot of controlling (laughs) women's and girls bodies and attitudes going on which is which is pretty sad but hopefully we'll we'll get there eventually
0: one uh, one can only hope and uh and people like her are doing it they're you know like i i can't really speak from that uh, only from afar from a distance and seeing seeing like my sister and uh seeing kids grow up and like but it's a, it's definitely a thing that needs more improvement and like that's awesome that she's putting in the putting in the work and i'm glad we got the plug her book um so the kind of <laughs> the kind of shifted into the new record which is why we're here to talk um can you tell me about singing little donkey <laughs>
1: it's a children's song and uh you know i i think yeah i must have mentioned it in the um I think I mentioned it in the in the video about the making of the album, um, and I was talking about how welcomed I felt as an outsider because I am an outsider. I'm kind of I'm in a weird position because I've lived in so many different countries. I'm kind of an outsider wherever I go. I mean, even if I go back to Chicago, I'm an outsider there. I don't sound, even though I grew up there, I right. don't sound like I come from there. I don't really sound like I come from anywhere. And um, but I moved to this small little, quite rural community. And um, and didn't expect to be kind of welcomed with open arms, you know. Kind of expected to be, you know, the the eternal outsider again. And uh, and and one of the lovely things that happened straight away was that um, I got asked. Uh, they they were doing like a nativity play for the kids in 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 the uh, in that same church in Saint Buryan Church and. Uh, And they they asked me if I would, you know, play the song, play guitar on the song Little Donkey while the kids were singing it. And I was just so blown away by that. It was just really nice to be asked to take part in something that that community related, that rooted in, in the community and to feel like I was I'd been made part of that community almost immediately and it was it was just wonderful and it's part of the reason why i have why i want to do this this benefit um concert uh for the for the album launch that's going to be you know free entry uh for anybody uh Lives locally and wants to come along, but but with, but with a, a collection at the end um, to, to benefit the church and help them keep the building going. It's 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 such a beautiful medieval building, and it needs so much work. Um, you know, it's, it's just trying to uh, to preserve it and 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 keep it standing is as, as well as to to help keep the, the the church going is 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 really important. And I hope I hope I can t- contribute something to that with, with the, uh, with the proceeds from the album launch.
0: Was it, well, it, yeah, I'm in Ohio now I know about it. So you're doing the work for sure. <laughs> it's getting out there. Um, <laughs> and I think that's, that's a beautiful entry. And like, that has to be moving it around as much as, as you have, it has to be very difficult to kind of, and just even, you know, kind of approaching music, solo dolo and like, you're always bringing yourself to the crowd, and it, may, it sounds like your living situation's kind of the same. Um, so that to have that feeling and find that place, I think that's awesome. Uh, so with the new record, it was all it was recorded live there, and uh, yeah. So can you dive into that a little bit?
1: Well, what happened was, you know, when COVID hit in March of 2020, I was two weeks into what was supposed to be a three-month tour. And I uh, had to dash home and get home before the border. I was in, on tour in Germany at the time, and I had to dash home before the borders closed. And and then I was at a loose end, I was like, what do I do? And I've been wanting for a long time to make a live album, and thinking about how and where I would do that. And it was actually my wonderful manager, who's also my sound engineer, he said, why don't we go ahead and do that live album? There won't be an audience. But because there's no audience, we can film the whole thing and we can film it, you know, we can bring in a whole camera crew and they can, you know, go ahead and put down track to run cameras on and, and, and uh, you know, get right into your face and stuff the way they wouldn't be able to do if there was an audience there that they had to preserve sight lines for. And, um, you know, and and then also having having the filmed content that gives you content to put out there so that people can see and kind of take part in while you're not touring. And, uh, and at the end of it all, we'll have a live album that just shows you as you are now, the way you're performing, the way you perform solo. Because on all the albums that I've made, I'd always had musical guests, which is great, which I don't right. really regret for one second. But uh, the songs had all kind of grown and evolved in the course of being out there on tour, performing them solo. And I, I really wanted to try and capture that and make a literally make a record of it. And uh, I'm so glad that we were able to do that. And Martin just did a beautiful job of capturing the, the sound he, the, of the building. He put, beside, in addition to miking me up, he also miked the building up. He put these little crisscross, you can see them in the videos, these little crisscross pairs of microphones here and there around the space. And so they captured the actual sound of the building as well as what I was doing. And it's just a, a really lovely thing, and I'm glad I got to do it.
0: It's a well, it's a beautiful uh, performance, and like uh, just to record in a in a church like you did, like my band, our third record, we uh, we recorded a like a live thing in a church, and like we never put it out. But there's something to that that space, that reverb, that that room gets that. I mean, it's the the place we were in was way different than the place you were in, definitely. Like, but just the, there's there's a magic to that, that atmosphere, that uh musically is so cool, and like I don't, it, it's just a. So when I um when I got the advance on on your record and saw the videos, and was diving into it, and I was just like, blown. One, you just how your your manager was saying, it does. It, it's alluring to see like. You have everything set up, and like to see the performance like it is, and like when I, I think with the record aspect of it, you know, you want other musicians on it. You want the you want to sound like you went to a studio and you put in time, and the, you did the studio bit, but it has to evolve live when you're playing it. You know, it needs the stretch. It needs to uh, uh, hit the crowd that you're with, and um, I think you did a beautiful job with that. And like, it's really cool to see it as well as hear it.
1: Uh, thank you so much. Thanks, really. It's it's. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm glad you liked it, and I'm just really grateful that it all worked out. And it's on LP as well. I really love I love vinyl records, and um, and because it's it's 72 minutes long, we had to do a double LP, and so we did this. Um, and I thought, well, it's going to be expensive to do a double LP, so we may as well just go the whole hog and 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 do a whole special limited edition release that's all numbered and blue vinyl and gatefold and everything so uh, i'm really excited about that aspect of it as well and i think it's it's going to be a lovely thing you know and and it's just a lovely thing to have done i kind of feel like right I've, i've i've achieved something here and that's a really good feeling
0: Definitely. Um, also, as assigned assigned to um, playing playing a drum and singing, you know, just just it's <laughs> it's so hard. Like I, I i went to I went to Cleveland State for music therapy, um, which is kind of where I, why I do the job I do. But like um, going through that, you had we we'd have to do percussion singing, and that's I don't know why that's so hard. Compared to like singing and playing guitar, you think it that would be harder, but for some reason, just being able to keep a, a rhythm and finding like a, a a pitch is so much harder. And like you kill it on that on the tune with just the drum. Like,
1: well oh, I'm not doing anything very complicated. It's pretty pretty darn basic. You know, right, but even even I'm something doing.
0: basic is hard to sing and play. Like that's you see drummers doing. You're like God, are they doing that. Like you. <laughs> I, I, coming from a guitar a guitar mindset yeah I don't know it's just it's it's impressive um what oh, brought thank you <laughs> what brought that were you just playing it and the melody came in or
1: Oh, no, the song came first, okay. and then Roger Luxton, the guy who was playing the drums in that trio video you saw, um, who played percussion on on my last album, uh, If We Dig Any Deeper, It Could Get Dangerous, the one that Michael Chapman produced. Um, Roger played the drums on that track. Well, he, not just drums. He played on, on that particular track, One Sparrow Down. He played all kinds of weird percussion from, you know, empty wine battles to radiators oh, cool. to, you know, everything. Yeah. He just... You know, he, he really mixed it up and created this fantastic percussion track um, to go behind the song, which I, I kind of wrote the song more or less a cappella, but I always had it in mind to have percussion with it. And, and I knew I wanted Roger to do it because he's just a fantastic drummer and percussionist. And then I had made that album and it was like, OK, I've got to go out and do that live now. I'm not going to have Roger with me. What am I going to do? And I... And uh, again, it was Martin's idea. Martin comes up with all the best ideas. Martin said, why don't we get Roger to give you a lesson on, on how to play? You can just play a floor tom. I said, what's a floor tom? He said, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, so, uh, so Roger um, brought a drum to my house and, you know, then and a pair of, uh, you know, sticks and um, and, uh, hot rods (laughs) and, uh, and said, here, this is, this is how you do it. Um, just do this. And he just played that, that basic beat, you know, and I was like, Oh, okay. So like that, and he was like, <laughs> he, he was, he was all blown away. Apparently, by how quickly I picked it up. He was a little bit, um, apparently people don't normally pick it up that quickly. I don't know. I anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get him to give him, give me some more drum lessons at some point because I, I love, I love percussion. You know, I think it's a great thing. I'd like to do more of it, but, uh, so he, he taught me to do that. And, and he found that drum for me, He went on eBay and, and found this lovely, um, a vintage, uh, vintage drum, uh, Premier Olympic, uh, made it. And, um, I, I think it was like all of like 60 pounds I bought it for. And, and, and then Roger, uh, took it all apart and renovated it and fixed it up for me and adjusted it and put, New heads on it and everything, and uh, and it's a really cool instrument to play. And but it would never have occurred to me to play the drum if 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 I hadn't recorded that song with Roger doing the percussion, you know, right. and then it was just for lack of anything else to accompany it, I had to learn to play it. Um, I would like to do more of that at some point.
0: That's awesome. I think I think I'd like say it's hard, it's not easy to do. Um, that uh, if we dig any deeper, is such a that song. The first, it, it, especially in the in the live performance it just demands attention it's such a uh, um i don't know what it is and i think it's the just the right amount of s- the, the the premise of the song and the and, and the dad gag tuning there's so, and maybe it's because it's on the electric on this record but there's something so uh, ear-catching about that song um and now that was about your son
1: yeah my son uh, was digging this great big hole out in the back garden. This is a good few years back when he was much younger. Um, and uh, he's a university student now, so it's a good while back, but he was digging this big hole and and I remember I was looking out the window to see how he was getting on, and I couldn't actually see him. And I went out and I Didn't see him until I walked right up to the edge of the hole, and there he was down in the hole, still digging, you know, which was way over his head. And um, I I said, uh, Eli, and, you know, and I was talking kind of mummy speak, you know, where it's all we, and I said, Eli, if we dig any deeper, it could get dangerous, and as soon as the words were out of my mouth, I just thought, oh, man, that has to be a song, and again, the kind of metaphorical implications, just like uh, with One Sparrow Down, you know, the, the metaphorical implications kind of immediately struck me of of how, um, you know, that, the isn't that what we're all doing we're all we're digging ourselves into holes you know and uh, and and then you know sort of climate wise as well um that's all we're, we're digging a great big hole there too and uh, so that's the, that's what the song wound up being about but it all came out of that phrase it's
0: beautiful how deep did that hole get in the backyard uh, physically <laughs> like the actual
1: <laughs> it's still out there somewhere I think it's all full of I think it's full of water now it basically <laughs> became a little pond <laughs> um, I mean well you know it was it was big enough to to go over a 10 year old's head that's, that's <laughs> and then ridiculous. I think it kind of stopped because I said now hang on <laughs> this is getting you, you're going to wind up drowning or getting stuck or something so you know let's let's, get, let's, let's stop digging now <laughs>
0: Awesome. um did uh did he uh, dive into music at all
1: no um it, but both my kids neither of them really got into music but both of them got into art in a big yeah. way so that's okay. okay you know as long as they're doing stuff and writing as well they're both wonderful writers so as long as they're doing something creative that's enough for me i'm happy you know
0: that's awesome were they like a, what's the medium are they both more oh. more in the writing or as far as art? Are they doing like digital, like a sculpture, painting?
1: Um, well, drawing mostly, okay. and cool. and then and and then both of them kind of draw and then write stories as well. Um, Eli, the one that dig any deeper is about he's kind of he, he's he's got quite into you know. Putting up a, a blog with with his stories and then with um, illustrations to go with them, oh, which are quite awesome. kind of stylized, almost cartoon like. They're pretty cool. So,
0: nice. and, and having having a mom who is a journalist, the grammar has to be great. And
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, they're good writers. I don't know if they get it from me or, or you know their dad pretty darn good writer too and he's an artist he's a visual artist so they you know they take after him with that and well i mean i do art too i did i did the artwork for the album and i've always done drawings as well as 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 uh, music so again for me it's all it's it's all about creativity and whatever form that creativity takes is is fine by me
0: that's beautiful was it a well, this is uh, diving into your stuff and your career has been has been awesome. Like, there's not too many uh, I get, and I'm sure you get this feeling too when you listen to a certain artist. You kind of get that like a uh, uh, inspiration to write or or do something creative, and uh, that's the feeling I got diving into your career, like that. Oh, that's good. So, uh, that's so um, good. Thank you. I really you. got the songwriting bug. I have a weird routine where I, I just, I'll, I'll try to write every other day and like I, I've been putting it off because of stuff, but like, uh, but the, the, uh, diving into your career has brought back that, that bug and like, it's made me want to be more di- back on that writing schedule. So uh, thank you for, uh, <laughs> for your talents. And thank you for um, oh, talking with me. This has been a great conversation.
1: Oh, thank you so much. You've made my day. It's, it's, it's really fantastic. And, 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 Thanks for thanks for talking to me and 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 you've asked wonderful questions too. It's been really really nice and uh, I don't know. I do hope to be touring over in your part of the world uh, yeah. next next year in in the autumn. I. I I, well, I, I know I have a gig in Illinois, so I, and I, so I will be passing through Ohio on the way there. And hopefully, I can work out a, a gig somewhere in, in right. your part of the world. That would be really nice. Awesome. Well, let and me you know. Get to hear your so, band play. Yeah. <laughs>